welcome to the Ice Guys, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is the show that takes you to the world of the National Hockey League. Every game, every day, from a sports fan perspective. With pro handicappers Alex B. Smith, Andrew McKinnis, and Ian Cameron, and veteran sports writer Jimmy Murphy. And now, here's your host, Ian Cameron. Welcome to the Ice Guys, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. It is Monday, June the 6th. Ian Cameron, uh, Alex B. Smith, we'll have Andrew McGinnis with us momentarily, and we have another special guest joining us here today uh, on the Ice Guys show, pro hockey player Cy Nutkovich joining us here uh, on the show. Uh, pretty fly for a Cy guy, uh, he is, uh, if you ask me, because I was looking at your stats and your history playing the sport, Cy, and I'm seeing you putting forth a career best in points this year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for the uh, Huntsville Havoc in the SPHL. What am I seeing? 70 points in 56 games for them this year? My gosh, man, hats off to you. Uh, great job. Welcome to the Ice Guys. Great to have you with us. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So uh, you're from Montreal. I'll just uh, We'll let you start there. We'll let you tell the uh, Cy Nutkovich story of your hockey journey, obviously uh, from Montreal, where obviously hockey's number one. I'm sure that's where you got your passion and love for the sport. So tell us how you got into hockey and the uh, career journey that you've uh, taken uh, over the years. Yeah, I mean, from Montreal, like as a kid, like hockey's really important. You know, I'm not that I remember, but my dad and uncle and family tell stories of how they take us to the outdoor rinks at like two years old and put us on skates and just push us around out there. Um, so I think hockey's always been a part of me and always been like what I enjoyed, you know, what gets you up in the morning. So I think my, I just played minor hockey my, throughout Montreal. And then I went to, I think when I was 17, I went to a prep school out in Albany, New York called Hoosack. I went there for two years. I actually had a really good time. There was quite a few guys in Montreal who were there at the time, my buddies. And I played a year of uh, junior A in Cornwall. What I think is called the CCHL now, maybe if I'm not mistaken. Uh, played for your coach there, Ian McGinnis. Really enjoyed him. Taught me quite a bit. Uh, then I went up Potsdam uh, to uh, upstate New York. Played four years at Potsdam State for the Potsdam Bears. Um, had a blast there. Had an unreal college experience there. Four years, really good college town. Clarkson is actually in Potsdam. And St. Lawrence is about maybe just 10 minutes down the road. So it was pretty good. There was, was a lot of college people, a lot of good experience. And then after that, uh, I went to the play for the Fort Worth Brahmas and Dan Wildfong. Went there out of college and then played my rookie year there. North Richland Hills is a beautiful place. Had absolute blast there. CHL was like older guys at the time before the CHL and ECHL merger. So I definitely learned a lot. And, you know, it was different because even though it was college, like, you know, some, everyone matures at different ages in college, but it was definitely in CHL, like, as a young kid, like, there's a couple, like, younger guys on my team, but then I walk in that room, those guys that have kids, and, you know, they're married and all that stuff, and I just left uh, philosophy 101 the other day, you know. Um, I think after that, maybe bounced around the coast for two years, uh, playing some good spots. Fort Wayne is an unbelievable place to play. Uh, had an absolute blast there. And I played a year in the LNH, which I'm sure you guys know about that league. I'm sure yeah. you have some questions about that league. <laughs> um, and then I it's played... certainly not dull and boring, that's for damn sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're someone who wants fights and all that stuff and a little action during the game, you know, you get what you're you get your what you paid for when you go to a game in the LNH. 
And then I think now I've played uh, six years in Huntsville. Wow, that's pretty good. Six years in Huntsville. You're right, the LNAH where they've got the ding, 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 the boxing bell ring sound <laughs> ready on the uh, PA system for every fight well, that goes on there. We actually play, like, I'm sure if you heard, like, the Laval Chiefs, we, like, there's teams that play, like, a team that plays out of that rink, and it's called, like, the House of Pain, and they have, like, the banner with, like, it says House of Pain in red paint that looks like blood dripping. <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that. I actually have some DVDs of, of that league from going back, I think maybe like about 15 years almost. And some of the former NHL guys that went up there and, and it's just crazy that, I mean, it's literally just, you know, the, the old joke of I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. That's, that's pretty much how that league runs. So uh, yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of good clips on YouTube and stuff in that league. Yeah. yeah that it's, is. it's gotten a little, little tamer over the years because there are quite a few really good players who are like when they're done playing in Europe and the American hockey league and they're a little bit older, mm -hmm they still enjoy the game. So right. I would say like the top six forwards and the top four defensemen on each team are actually really good. Like the hockey is, they're really good players, but just with where the people who come to the games want to see fights. So there are like three to four, like not just middleweights, like three to four like heavyweights who like, they know that that's how they get paid and that's how they put, you know, there's bonuses and all that stuff is to fight. So they play it up for the crowd and the crowd loves it. And it's, it's not all where the teams play aren't like in like, very populated like cities so like people are oh you're talking about the rurals the boonies of quebec like, yeah. like, i mean there's teams yeah. like in sorel or i don't know if you guys know where jean-pierre quebec is or yeah i can't even think of some of the other play where i'm trying to think of all places we, we went to uh thedford mines oh yeah like they're they're they're, they're we're going north here we're going up to north quebec yeah the North Quebec, there was a little letter Kenny episode centering around North Quebec, yeah. too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely uh, legendary. Hilar Every episode of that show is legendary. It's yeah. a hilarious show. But that one in particular, when they were going to making the Quebec trip, was uh, pretty damn funny. Uh, good stuff. And, you know, it's funny. I mentioned the boxing sound, like the bell ring, ding, ding, ding. Like, let's get the round started. Actually, this might actually end up being on one of Alex's DVDs he mentioned from a long time ago, because I really think it was from like 10 or 15 years ago, where everything had broken apart. There was a line brawl going on. Everything had simmered down. Then all of a sudden, when it looks like both teams are going to go back to their benches, cooler heads are going to prevail. I hear the ding, 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 ding on the PA system, and they start going at it again. I mean, it's like, it's, I think the league is just purposely, hey, we got this sound effect ready. We want to keep the motion going. We want to keep the uh, brawl, <laughs> keep the brawl going, keep the party alive. So it, it was just funny seeing that. But yeah, that league is uh, batshit wild uh, for sure when it comes to uh, fighting for sure. So I want to touch just briefly, Si, on the six years here in Huntsville, because now you've been there for six years. So what that tells me is, A, you're, you're playing a lot. B, you're having fun, you know, you're ob and your numbers there are good especially this past season, a career best. And three, you know, you like the area, you like the uh, the, the fan base, which apparently you said is really growing and, and really supporting the team down there uh, in Huntsville. And you found yourself in a very comfortable spot, whereas, you know, I'm playing, I'm producing, I'm enjoying the game, I'm having fun, whereas you could maybe try to, you know, maybe punch above your weight class. And what good's that if you're just going to be a bench warmer, you're not going to get the minutes, maybe you're not going to have as much fun or be able to be put in a situation where you're going to be able to be one of the guys that's counted on uh, on the team. So it sounds like you're in a nice situation in terms of comfort and you get a chance to be an impact player here with this Huntsville team. Yeah, well, I mean, also I'm, I'm at an age where I want to – live a life that I enjoy and be in places I enjoy. I mean, like this year, there was a team that called and wanted me to come, but you know, it's just, I've given, I, you know, 
I, like you said, I want to be the guy or be one of the guys and play important man and all that stuff. And it's just, I get, you know, when I was younger, you know, to bounce around from team to team or play nine four or ten forward or just try and make a role. And I did that. And now I just, I get to play every day and I get to enjoy myself and practice and enjoy actually the life that's sort of been created for, you know, for myself there. And going to the rink is still fun. I love it. In Huntsville, like, the weather is very nice. You have to golf all the time. We have great ownership. Uh, they really take care of the players. Uh, we have great fans, you know, made great teammates there. Like I was just in Missoula, Montana for a wedding this weekend for Nolan Kaiser, who I played all six of my years with down there. So I made great friends there. You know, there's two other teammates that were two, uh, no, maybe no, five other teammates actually that made the trip down there also. So it's like, it's, it's like a second home to me now. Huh? So I've been there for so long and I met so many great people and they've taken great care of me there also that it's like Montreal is one life and uh, Huntsville is the second life. Yeah. And then, you know, we talked to, we've had a couple other players from that league on, on the show and, you know, talked about how, you know, hockey growing in the South and I'm sure some people may or may not know, but uh, University of Alabama Huntsville had a program uh, that was division one there for years. Camp Talbot, probably the most notable graduate from that, uh, that school. And then they had to fold their operations uh, because of the pandemic. And I don't know if they're going to come back or not. They've been trying to raise funds there, but it's interesting, you know, hearing you say that, you know, that's a hockey, at least with the, as far as a pro team, that's, you know, really big following and stuff. And I wonder, you know, if that could lead to possibly, like I said, the growth and expansion, because you see all these colleges down south that have added club teams or try to go to Division One. So, you know, do you guys kind of work together sometimes or even with some other teams where, you know, you see that growth with the youth programs and then kind of lead to where, you know, kids end up growing up, going to play at a, in a club team and then eventually maybe, you know, playing in that Southern League or other, uh, you know, leagues around the country. Yeah, I think every every year has been a little bit different. I think with uh, UAH, Alabama Huntsville, we actually share a rink. And we were like, right, our locker room was right across from their locker room. And like over the years, they had a hard time drawing fans because I just think in college hockey, it's really hard if if you're not playing at like a high-end high like D1 school, that if your rink isn't on campus, it's really tough to get people there. Right. So yeah. with that not being the case, like our rink is in the middle of downtown Huntsville. So they weren't getting a ton of fans. Like every now and then when we get like in maybe, I think February, there'd be like two or three weekends where a ticket to our game got you into their game for free and we'd play at three and they'd play at seven. And then the following weekend, we'd reverse it. Like they'd play the early game and play the late game. So, I mean, we did stuff there to try and help them out a little bit. I think, unfortunately, they're just so far away from a lot of the other colleges, like in the conference they play in that it's quite a bit of money and I'm not sure they're going to make it, make it back, which is unfortunate because there's actually like murals in like the tunnel for Huntsville to go on the ice where we play. There's like history of the havoc and there's a history of all the guys who play for UH, like there's a Cam Talbot picture and, and other guys and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think with the younger kids, I don't know if we did it. We did it before COVID. We haven't done it since COVID, but they have like stick and puck and stuff uh, to try and help grow the game. Like Cody Hodgson, started a bunch of stuff in Nashville and he also did it in Huntsville. So we were, when we were, I'd say for sure my first two years, I want to say even my first three years that like there'd be three or four guys from the team that had to, or like it'd be scheduled that you'd go out on, like it would be like Wednesdays from like five to six 30. And, uh, you just help the kids out. They enjoy the game and trying like, they don't even really have like skates and sticks. A lot of times they're just renting stuff to go on the ice right away, but it, it is growing and it's coming around. I think you see that, 
more and more like roller hockey, but like there's so many more players that are like playing even in the NHL from California or all these places that you wouldn't expect yep. to be, you know, Arizona. Look at Arizona, Tage Thompson, Austin Matthews. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Just so I think, I think, like you said, I think it's just growing the game. And I think now it's a little bit, obviously it's, it's expensive. So you need to have a little bit of money, especially yeah. once you get going. Cause the one thing about, I would say that's different from being in Canada to being down South is it's going to be way more expensive in terms of travel because it's just not as easy if you want to play against good competition. The, more, the older you get, it's either you're leaving home or you're going to have to travel very far and be in hotels all the time and gas. And... Yeah, no question about that. We have Andrew McGinnis now uh, with us here uh, on the uh, Monday show. Uh, Andrew, welcome in. Uh, it's funny, aside, Andrew McGinnis is from Halifax, but he's also a Montreal Canadiens fan. So the both of you can commiserate now about what the Montreal Canadiens are going to do from here. <laughs> hey, the number one pick is inbound. Yeah. yeah. Who's it going to be? We think it's Shane Wright. We think, but they're trying to make it sound like there's some doubt. I have, So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just theatrics or just, just to, you know, keep this, keep everybody on their toes or not. But uh, I think we'd see St. Catherine Street erupt like I saw it last year during the cup finals if uh, he didn't go to the number one pick. So yeah. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, did, you, did you guys watch the Slovak play at all in the World Championship or some of the Olympics? Uh, I did. Yes. I think his name. Yep. He looks pretty good. He is. Yeah, yeah he is. It, he it, fully developed for eight, at 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. Scary, the skill level, too. Just incredible uh, for him. Uh, Shane Wright, of course, is being compared to maybe a Patrice Bergeron level, too. Uh, you know, someone that's going to be able to be that complete two way, 200 foot player, uh, very much in his uh, and the leadership qualities, too, uh, of a Patrice Bergeron. So uh, that's the appeal of Shane Wright. But I did see that some of that kid, Cy, that you mentioned, and he yeah, looked pretty damn impressive for you, right? 18 years old to be able to play like that already. Uh, pretty uh, impressive indeed. Uh, we're going to do a brief little memory lane here for Cy. It's not easy to find SPHL clips, it's not easy at all. Not easy at all. It's uh, of course we're talking uh, down the food chain a bit, but we did pit find one. It's a nice little goal scored by our special guest here as a member of the Havoc, and I think this was probably one of the uh, first years that he was uh, with the team. So let's have a uh, let's have a look at it. Now side Nukovic, he'll circle around, get it up to a high slot for Caribou. Back over to Nukovic, Nukovic back over to near side, uh, off the skate of Ryan Wilkinson, but picking it up is Jeff Jones. He tries to get it down low, intended for Cy Nukovic, coming back for it on the far side, throwing it in on the rebound. It's up, Dolan Heisman to it. Cy Nukovic. And look what he gets for scoring a goal. Someone just running him over like a free train. That's the clip you have to find, eh? <laughs> That's the one. Special, isn't it? <laughs> hey, I'll take, I'll take 30 of those every year. Exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Goal in any hockey league, you'll take it. It's a goal. It counts on the score. When they look at the score, what the, your score sheet and your stat line at the end of the year, they're not going to see exactly what every little goal looked like. They're going to see, you know, a certain number of goals. And for this year, for instance, seventy points, which uh, leads us to this uh, next one here, where you're getting honored for being the points leader all time for this franchise here, the uh, Huntsville Havoc. Very impressive uh, feat uh, that you were able to uh, accomplish here. So. Here's Cy getting the uh, accolades for it. The Huntsville Havoc continued to rewrite the record books this season. After getting off to the best start in league history, the organization now has a new all-time points leader, veteran center Cy Nutkovich. 
And the record-breaking 290th point came in a big moment as Nutkovich netted the game winner in a shootout against Peoria on Friday night. Was that five hole? VBC. It was fun. Uh, it was a uh, low blocker. Low blocker, okay. It's a pretty amazing way to get the record, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, well, there was a little bit of weight to it, too, because I know how much you guys know. So in the SP, uh, the game-winning goal, like in shootout counts for a real goal, like towards your stat line. Right, which, yep. is, which is different than the NHL. So in that thing, I shot third, and no one else had scored yet. So like the guys on the team, a couple of guys knew I was like a point away from the record, and some people didn't have any idea. So like when I scored, I knew it could have been big. So then when the four, when we still had to wait for two more guys on each team to either score or miss to know if I was going to get it or not. Yeah. So it was a little. Did you know you were going low blocker, or was it like you went up there and then you were like, all right, like. Are you someone that has that planned or is that your go-to or is kind of just that, a read on the goaltender? No. So I don't, I usually have a plan. I don't usually go uh, low blocker and shootout. I think I scored on, I played against Levine quite a bit, the goalie, and we were in shootout earlier in the year in Peoria and I went high glove on him. Um, so, and we went to shootout quite a bit. So I had quite a bit of attempts this year and I was going to slow down and like, I usually fake and try and wait a little bit or go high glove. But when I came down and I slowed up, it just looked like there was an opening there. And I just, a lot of times, like, I just trust that if you see in the net, you got to shoot at it. So, right. like, I like to have a plan, but I'm willing to adapt. If I see something, then you got, you got to trust. It's really tough to, it's tough to go with no plan for some people. And it's really tough to just say, hey, I'm going to wing it. Because yeah. if you wing it, you get nervous. So, a lot of times, like, I have an idea of what I want to do coming down. But I'm, I'm willing if I see some an opening to change. Yeah. A split second adjustment based on what you're seeing from the goaltender, even though you think, oh, I'm going to go, you know, top corner, I'm going to go blocker, I'm going to go along the ice, try to beat him five hole. You've got your plan, but you're not scared to adjust it right in the middle of your attempt if you see the goalie looking in a certain uh, way. I agree. I think a lot also depends on how many times you face the guy in shootout and yeah. if it's in the same year and the goalies, like, for example, way back when I played in, uh, in Texas, we played Allen. Americans like 17 times that year and Aaron Dell was their goalie and like we went we went to shoot out back-to-back weeks against them and like one week I scored on like what would have been my go-to move back then and I was like well there's no way I can do it again because he's a really good goalie so if he thinks he's doing this like I have to change it up and I just got lucky and it worked on him again a different move but I think there is a little bit of like cat and mouth especially when it comes to shootout against the same skater same player and the same goalies at least in the year I used to know a goalie that uh, he'd always tell me like he's like I was like man do you like shootouts and he told me he goes this is the one opportunity as a goaltender you can show you're better than a player and I was like obviously it's kind of cocky saying that but he's like uh, I like shootouts because it's just one on one he's like the player thinks they can take you on and then you think it's like the one chance where it's just one on one you know so I think it's cool because like you said you're familiar with that goaltender so you had some reads but when you go off to these like tournaments or like let's say like in the cup finals an east team playing a west you might not know that that guy you know checking you or the goaltender and it makes it a little bit different no definitely there is a big you know people's tendencies whether it's yeah. players or goalies forwards and defensemen someone who can't cross over great one way or pivot one way or some guys who like using their backhands to pass the puck or can't pass the puck i mean there's definitely the more you play someone the more you pick up on tendencies, especially the smarter the player you are, no matter what league, you'll find tendencies with people. So well, there is a difference when you play someone only two or four, three times. 
as opposed to seeing someone seven or eight times and then play them again also on a seven-game series. Well, and yeah. one thing I want to ask you, because you're in the league where they have a, a five-round shootout as opposed to the NHL's three-round, and a lot of people don't like the NHL system. Do you think that it would be better for the NHL to be moved to a five-round system? Do you think that's a more fair balance than just having where if two guys score or the other two miss, that the game's over? I'm not sure if the amount of shooters uh, matters. I think it's more of the style of game that people would like, whether it's they like the three-on-three or four-on-four more than the amount of shooters. Okay. I think the one thing also that is – uh, different in our league is that after five, so a tie, someone can go again. Oh, okay. And that person can go as many times as you want after five. It has to be five different. It's like Olympics, first. right? Yeah. Yeah, the international shootout. Yeah. 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 yeah, so it needs yeah. someone different for the first five. And then after that, if you want to send the same guy for the next three rounds, if it's still tied, you can't. So I think that aspect is cool. But I also don't think in the NHL it would happen that many times. Times like after five, I don't know what the percentage is that go past five. If if they were, or if you did it at three, or if that's what people fans would want to see, you know, like Sedano Chara taking penalty shots or or what it is. But I think I think one of the things that people thought the shooter was cool when it first implement it was implemented because they weren't seeing it all the time. So now the three on three is like the new thing that's cool. So people want to see more of it because they think it's fun and exciting, and you get to see the better. A lot of times in three on three the best eight to nine players are the ones on the ice the whole time. So yeah. I think that would be cool. But I also think like if they made three on three, 10 minutes, now you're not necessarily playing the same eight to nine players all the time, right? You're getting a little deeper. So I do wonder if the fans would still find it as entertaining because you're not going to see the same high end quality players on the ice for the whole time as you do when it's only five minutes. Yeah. No, that's, that's an excellent point there. The shootout is always a contentious topic. It always is. There's some people that think three shooters versus five, which was a great question by Alex, because there's that's a debate that's been in existence for a while with the NHL. Should we increase it to five shooters? There's some people that say you just keep playing three on three overtime until there's a goal, Not never mind just the five minutes. Uh, but yeah, there's the good news is, as Kenny says in our chat, the, the NHL takes out the shootout for the playoffs. That's why I can live with the shootout in the regular season. They get rid of it in the playoffs, and they just keep playing until there's a goal. Uh, I, I enjoy both ways. I just, as long as it's not ending with a tie, it's fine with me. Yeah, exactly. Th that I agree with you. That drives me nuts. Side with soccer, not that I need another reason to rant on soccer, but I don't like ending in draws. I don't. You know, find a winner. What do we do? We play. We're going to run around this soccer pitch, as they call it, for ninety minutes to tie one-one, to, to not even decide a winner. Like that's totally absurd in my mind, but that's the way they do it. I mean, that's, that's the system, unfortunately, uh, that they go with, but, uh, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's angering, but, uh, there's a lot of things that anger me when it comes to soccer, but we won't get into them all. All right. Uh, Cy, let's, uh, before we get into last night's game, we'll look at, uh, back at the, uh, Carol at uh, the Tampa Bay, New York Rangers game, uh, as Tampa gets back into that series. And then we'll preview Oilers abs game four tonight. But first Cy, you're from Montreal. You're a Montreal Canadians fan. Here's your chance to rant and rave, say something that's bothering you about the team, you know, whatever you want to talk about regarding this Montreal Canadiens team. What do you think of the Marty St. Louis uh, decision to bring him back now as the permanent head coach uh, moving forward? Uh, obviously, the number one pick in the draft coming up. Uh, probably, we think, taking Shane Wright. We'll see. Uh, but just your chance, side, if you will, to sound off on the uh, Montreal Canadiens as a fan of the team. Well, it would have been a little heated if this was filmed and, you know, November, December, when I had to watch the way they were playing out there. But I think they've they've done a really good job since, you know, they brought in Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes. 
and obviously Marty St. Louis. If you watch all the Habs games, they were almost unwatchable the first 25 games of the year, the way they played and like the style. And it just wasn't fun. It's winning or losing. Like obviously you, you want to win, but to watch them play was not enjoyable. I think Andrew said something along those lines earlier this yeah, year. Like, yeah. It, it, it was like, even if you're a fan, like I want you to win the game, but if you're going to lose, okay, let me enjoy watching my team play. And yeah. that really wasn't the case. And I think, they did a ton of great things. You know, Marty St. Louis, obviously, you get, you know, Cole Caulfield going and Suzuki, who are your cornerstones going forward. So it's great that they were successful, especially under that coach. But for the whole team as a whole, they were at least fun to watch. They were in the games. It was enjoyable. You know, it, it's a pastime to watch the Montreal Canadiens to get there and done in time or to have a TV in front of the the your supper table so you can watch the game and be a part of it and talk about it or listening to it on the morning shows and the night shows. So I think I've really liked what they did. I think Jeff Gordon, if you look at that New York Rangers team, I think I saw this the other day that he's basically responsible for 16 to 17 of the players who are playing on that roster right now. So I, I think as a Habs fan, you should be ecstatic about that because he clearly did a great, great job of finding talent, drafting good players and free agency and all that. Um, I think Kent Hughes is an, an agent, so he probably knows pretty well what he's got going on and how he wants to run things. And then I think Marty St. Louis, there's had a, a ton of great feedback from the players about how he is and how he wants to run practices and that they trust him. And he's got such a pedigree that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. So if you give him the benefit of the doubt and try it his way, as long as he's probably going to be right more often than not, so you're going to end up being successful. Even if you doubt it, you might be like, well, the guy's a Hall of Famer. The guy's done this, Stanley Cup champion, you know, hard trophy, this and that. And he's like, ah, oh, maybe I should give it a go the way he wants for a month, you know. Yeah. I like his quote, too. He says, I don't even think I'm a really good coach yet, he said in this press conference the other day, Marty St. Louis. And that's – I like that he said that because there's already people saying what a phenomenal job he did. And he, they did play better under him. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, the record was still not great. And he's looking at that and saying, wait a minute, we've got the record we've got. I know we played a little bit better with more structure. Things got, were obviously better than how brutal it was early in the year. But I want this to be my the record on my you know resume here for my first year with this team. No, I can do better. We can do better. I like that he said that right away. I don't think I've proven I've done anything yet or I'm a good head coach. That's the kind of mindset to be, to, that you want determination out of Marty San Luis. I, I love that quote. That's the right, that's the winning mindset right there. Uh, and it was good to uh, hear that. Uh, so uh, Andrew, I know you've talked Montreal a lot, but do you want anything to add before we uh, go and uh, recap yesterday? Well, I just want to say that, uh, I mean, it's one, I really strongly think that the Montreal Canadians are going to be a team that what they were in October, November is going to be far, far different from what they're going to be this coming year in October, November. And that's not really coming from a fan perspective, but it's like what was just said. They weren't even bearable to watch. You know, uh, I, I pride myself and I, I mentioned on this show, I'm the kind of fan that if my team is down six, two in the third period, I don't turn, change the channel. I watch, but it was tough. It was real tough, you know? And I, I think that they're the type of team. And really, since I was a kid that one year to the next, you better not think you're going to get the same result, whether it's good or bad. And some of the moves they've made and, and just with the mixture of youth and vets, I think they'll be they'll be fine. You know, so it's it's a real interesting, you know, makeup with the team, especially with injuries and, you know, Montembeau with the workload he had and some of the defensive players and a lot of young guys playing together. So it should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Big offseason for a lot of these young guys as well. 
Um, I think Suzuki had a good year, but I think he's ready to take that even next step for coming in the next season. And Chris Weidman signs the vet minimum. I like that. It sounds like he's a great leader in the room and a lot of the guys really like him, which is more important than I think a lot of people give credit for. And I think one thing we've learned about having guests on our show, the ice guys is the camaraderie, you know, the team atmosphere, we all know it, but uh, it, it goes to show. I mean that you sign that vet min and, no matter how many minutes you're playing a night, he's a part of the team. You're on the plane, you're in the locker room and that stuff matters, especially with a team where the average age right now is probably like 22, 23 years old. Well, I think he was, he was really important. Like you said, he was outspoken to about wanting to stay in Montreal. Yeah. How he liked it here. And I think you want people that want to be there. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like going back to your point about next year, I think if you look at it, they're going to be so young on the decor and like on the back end next year, a lot of their best prospects are defensemen. And there, I think quite a few of them are going to be playing. That would be nice like to have an older guy to help them out, but also an older guy who won't be bent out of shape if he has to sit a game here or, or there so that way to let the kids play. So I, I think I think it's a good signing. He's a right-shot defenseman. He can run a power play if needed. You know, I, I'm not sure how great you're going to be if he's running your first power play, but I think it's a good idea to have him around, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. That's for a very young team. And uh, it could be a tough seed. Probably will be, I would think. I mean, when you look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference, you've got teams that were perennially the last few years not very good that I think are probably a little bit further ahead in their rebuild than Montreal is right now and right within their own division. And I'm looking at Ottawa. I'm looking at Detroit. And I'm certainly looking at even Buffalo, which had a strong finish uh, to the uh, regular season. Uh, and maybe they can, you know, use that as a springboard to uh, at least maybe contend for the postseason next year. And then you've got question marks with Boston. I mean, it is as a Habs fan. I'm no, Asai, you're not going to f- shed any tears. But we have our, one of our colleagues is Jimmy Murphy, covers the Boston Bruins and has covered them for years. Uh, and um, he's on this show regularly. And Jimmy is just so beyond worried about this team starting next year uh that you know things are falling apart bergeron might retire you know uh, you know we look at already what's happened tuka rask retired earlier this year uh this defense is just a shell of what it used to be uh you know what can swayman do is he the guy number one long-term uh, goaltending there was no offensive depth beyond marshawn bergeron poster knocked that group and now bergeron may not even be back if he decides to retire like jimmy murphy's saying there's some pain and some agony and some blues coming up for the Boston Bruins as early as next year, like to the point where they could dip their way right out of the playoffs, which could happen, you know, not even make the playoffs next year when you got these Ottawa's and Detroit's and these Buffalo's of the world that are getting better and are going to be pushing, I think, for a playoff spot. So if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, you're just going like this and say, oh, hell yeah. And uh, let's get that Boston Bruins team out of the postseason. And uh, you're not going to shed any tears, Cy, about any problems for Boston next year, will you? No. One of my good friends, too, from in Huntsville, teammates, the captain there, Lion Way, Todd Crescentini, big Boston Bruins fan from Weymouth, Massachusetts. And I, I was just at a wedding with him this, this weekend. I was telling him when they announced that all the injuries and all the surgeries and who's out for how long, that if Bergeron doesn't come back, they're done next year like they're not making the playoffs next year because it'd be really hard to because if McAvoy and Marchand aren't playing until end of November middle of December yes and Bergeron is not playing that's that's a lot of production a lot of minutes you're gonna have to replace to, to stay afloat till they come back yeah 
That is. And uh, of course, yeah, you're right. The surgeries that are going to be un undergone in the off season for, like you mentioned, those two Bruins, Marshawn and uh, McAvoy, it's going to make things even more challenging for them. They could get off to a rough start. I've already got Boston circled as bet against right at the very beginning of October, uh, right at the very beginning spots to bet against them, maybe an under win total look uh, as well. I mean, the or point totals. Uh, when the win and the point totals for each NHL team are released for the 2022-2023 uh, NHL season. So, yeah, Boston under, bet against Boston, uh, definitely things we are looking at if we equate this definitely to uh, how to handle this from a betting perspective. I mean, you've got basically Haggerty, uh, Joe Haggerty, Jimmy's good friend, and Jimmy Murphy himself saying, this is bad. This is bad news written all over it for Boston. So how are you going to dispute that when two guys that cover the team daily are very, very uh, forceful with their belief and their staunch uh, reasoning for the uh, for the Bruins uh, going downward a bit next year? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mention that because I just had this conversation with someone a couple of days ago in reference with Tampa Bay. Obviously, you know, with the cap troubles they have, obviously this is a big run for them. It's probably their last run with this core group uh, for the most part. And I think there's going to be a radical shift in the Atlantic division because with Boston and, and Tampa having to make changes, Montreal, Detroit, and, and Ottawa on the rise, Buffalo slowly on the rise. I think we're going to see a lot of shakeup between now and uh, this time next year uh, in that Atlantic division. Do you, do you guys think Nick Paul goes back to Ottawa? I mean, from what I've seen from him, I've been super impressed. Look at that. I yeah. mean, sometimes even playing on a team that has that cup caliber, like obviously Tampa Bay does because they've proven it, but like, when you're surrounded by guys like that, because I mean, it's been a daycare over in Ottawa, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I say that, but they're all like my age, <laughs> but like, you know, and, and you go over and you're playing with Cooch and, and Stamkos and Hedman and those guys. I mean, Nick Paul is, is going to leave. The, what was it? The debt. It was a deadline and pickup, right? Yeah. I mean, in those few months, the amount of growing that he's done as a hockey player has been crazy. I think, you know, if he goes back to Ottawa, he'll be worth more money but he'll be a hell of a lot better of a hockey player, I think. I yeah. I agree with you. I think he's value. I didn't realize. I mean, I knew he was good. He plays in the NHL, but I think he's been really noticeable every game in Tampa. A nice but bargain bin, seven hundred fifty thousand, by the way, on the books for Nick Paul this season. Agreed, but I think he's made himself a lot of money in yeah. the Stanley yeah. Cup playoffs. He's been very noticeable. The Braden Point injury has helped his value go up even more because he's been playing on the edge with better players, and I think. Ottawa probably let him go because they thought what he was asking for was unreasonable. And he's probably going to be asking for way more than that after the run he's had the last couple of months. Though. <laughs> yeah, no They're question. They're better off to sign him. They're better off to keep him. <laughs> they they would have been. <laughs> Great segue to talk Rangers Lightning, uh, by the way, for game three. Uh, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, it was game three yesterday uh, in uh, Tampa. Uh, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, it was not easy. It probably should have been easier than it was for them, considering the, the territorial play was in their favor. Uh, 51 shots on goal for the Lightning. They deserve to win that hockey game, but uh, it was obviously much more difficult than maybe it should have been as it took till the last minute uh, for Tampa Bay to get that game-winning goal, uh, courtesy of Andre Pilat, a wonderful just little drop-slash-touch pass from Nikita Kucherov on that goal. Just a brilliant split-second reaction and decision by him to just touch that puck, just drop it back ever so uh, slightly for Andre Pilat, who released it quickly. So the combination of the sudden drop pass by Kucherov and the quick release instantly of Pilat, and that's how you're going to beat Igor Shosturkin. It's got to be the perfect play. It's got to be perfect execution on it. 
And that's what we saw from Tampa Bay to get that 3-2 goal, which they ended up winning. Five on five, if you look at all the stats, you look at uh, all the key uh, advanced numbers from that game yesterday. And Cy, we've definitely been incorporating this in our betting and handicapping breakdown of hockey on a day-to-day basis. The high danger chances, the, the expected goals margin, uh, all of these different types of stats that indicate a little bit stronger, indicate how the flow of the game went. And Tampa Bay controlled all those numbers. Heavy edge and expected goals. Heavy edge and high danger chances and scoring chances, especially at five on five, even strength. I mean, they really took that game to the New York Rangers yesterday at five on five and 51 shots on goal. Definitely deserved to get that victory. Although Shesterkin was just spectacular, even in a losing effort where he kept his team right in it and they had a chance to steal it. Here's the one thing that would concern me about Tampa Bay, though, is the penalty kill against that Rangers power play. Rangers still scored twice with the man advantage, and it's what got them the 2-0 lead. The Ranger power play, guys, is red hot. You know, you can't fucking stop it right now. It's been absolutely spectacular uh, throughout these last several games, going back to, I believe, game six of the Carolina series. And it almost got Tampa Bay in trouble. And they're very fortunate they rallied back from 2-0 down to win that game. Uh, but what if, you know, the penalty trouble kept going? I mean, Corey Perry slashing at Shesterkin. I get that he's trying to get under Shesterkin's skin. And that's his game, Corey Perry. It is. Crash the net. You know, you know, try to push the goalie just ever so slightly. Make it look like, hey, we're going to try to disrupt you. We're going to try to throw you off your game somehow. Uh, and that's Corey Perry. That's what he does. But when you're starting to slash the goalie, you know, that's when you're taking it over the line and you're committing a penalty. You're in the box for two minutes and you're giving life to a team that's had a, a red hot power play. And that's exactly what happened yesterday uh, in the second period. So Tampa Bay still got to either figure it out, stay out of the box or do a better job on the penalty kill. Uh, because the New York Rangers power play continues to be just rolling along at an exceptional clip for them. And this goes all the way back to about game three or four of the Carolina series when that Rangers power play really started to get going. Zabanajad and Kreider and Andrew Kopp chipping in and the kid line with Heedle and Lafreniere and Kako has kept playing better uh, for the Rangers as this series has gone on. So uh, Tampa Bay gets the win yesterday, but I think even John Cooper will admit, yeah, our five on five, we earned it. We were dominant in that game, but we've got to either figure out, hey, stay out of the box or kill the penalty, you know, when we're facing this New York Rangers power play. And Corey Perry, as much as I love that he's, you know, trying to get uh, Igor Shesterkin rattled a a little bit, you have to. You have to at least try when a goalie's playing that well, but uh, you don't want to slash the goalie and put yourself in the penalty box against a great power play. And that's what happened yesterday. So discipline is going to be uh, a key for Tampa you know, skirting the line, but not crossing over the line, you know, with some of these penalties and that they take is also going to be something they uh, focus in on. But uh, yeah, great game from the Lightning, uh, especially at even strength. And they are back in the series now, trailing 2-1. Cy, we'll start with you with uh, thoughts from game three and the uh, Rangers-Lightning series. Yeah, I think, like you said, Tampa and the 5-on-5 play, I think they've also they're going to have to make adjustments, but their PK has been really good and they've been lucky that they face teams that had a struggling power player or haven't burned them yet. So they've been able to play a little bit, not a bullying style, but like, you know, take the extra shot here and there and they're not worried they're going to kill it off because they had a really good PK, but Florida's power play was struggling. Toronto's power play wasn't great against them either, but that, the Rangers power play, it, it's different. It's, it's ran very well with how they're, with how it's set up and the concepts they're trying to run with, Adam Fox runs the top of a power play as good as anyone in the NHL. He may be top three guys quarterbacking a power play and it's set up really well for him as a right to pull it to the middle 
to stay at, and then goes to Panarin with the strong side. When, the, when Panarin has the puck on the strong side, he's got three righties to take a one-timer, with Strom as the bumper, Fox up top, and Zibanejad's big one-timer on the other flank. And then you throw in Chris Kreider scoring whatever it was, 35 tips or rebound goals that he had during the regular season. It's a really good net front presence, right? So there's going to be seams. It's going to be tough for Tampa. They're extremely aggressive on the, on the PK from what I've noticed watching them, which now you're giving – if you, you're going to make people make mistakes, but you're also – if someone beats you, they're going to have a little bit of time and space to take a really good quality shot. But I think it's who they are, and they're, comfort, they're comfortable, and they're going to play their game. I'm sure they're going to get spoken or talked to or be discussed in the room about, listen, like, we got to take it easy on the penalties. we got to play hard in their face, but we can't take go over the line as much as we have in the past two series. Uh, when you look at that stat, I'm just going to spe- uh, look at it right now. The high danger chance percentage, 73 for Tampa, just 26, uh, 27 for the Rangers. So it does speak to, uh, you know, and three point, it ended up being 3.28 to 1.51. So they more than doubled up the New York Rangers in expected goals, uh, Tampa Bay. So again, no argument with them winning the game. Uh, they earned it, and now they're back in the series. Alex, do you think they're back in the series to stay? Or can the Rangers actually go in game four? 3-1, take a stranglehold again, or is this now destined for Tampa Bay's awake now, the bear is alive, the bear is awake, and now we've got ourselves a series? I mean, it wasn't the cleanest win for Tampa Bay, and that's the way you have to get through the playoffs, obviously. Uh, but really, it's going to come down to whoever can stay out of the box. I think the you know the, the cleaner team is going to going to advance here because you saw Jacob Truba take three penalties that were that were really bad. Kucherov had the high stick and you know had a penalty early in the game. So both power plays are rolling right now because both teams have you know made some undisciplined moves, gotten a little, a little too physical, uh, and taking penalties at the wrong time. I think that's really going to be the equalizer. But the Rangers certainly have given Tampa some life now. You know they're only down two one with game four at home. Uh, this could easily be a spot where, where Tampa Bay, you know, to kind of gets that that energy back, that last push. It didn't seem like that. Like I said, if you look at it from the last, let's say, five periods, it seems like Tampa just really didn't have uh, their horses, you know, off and on for most part, especially in game two. We, you know, we said they were just completely outclassed and outskated in that game. But game three, obviously, a, a better outing, but like I said, just really sloppy play at both ends, and that's the reason we saw scoring, you know, the high scoring. The way both goaltenders are playing, if we don't see that many penalties – that's probably a one nothing game in overtime, uh, honestly. So, so that's the thing. It's going to be you know who stays out of the box the most in game four, and can both goalies you know step up? You know goalies you know at this point now, Shesterkin and Vasilevsky. Like I said, they're going to have to you know steal games for for their clubs at some point moving forward if they're going to advance out of this round. I think Jacob Truba is having vision problems. I think he's mistaking the look of the penalty box for a sexy chick because he keeps wanting to go back there uh, and, and see things and uh, <laughs> and go back there over and over and over and over again. Uh, that's exactly what I thought. Like This guy just keeps on going back to the penalty box. He just must love it in there. I mean, it just must be his like personal sanctuary or some shit. I mean, holy shit! I mean, he's got to he's got to cut it out. I mean, at some point, it's gonna you're gonna pay the price for it when you're taking that many penalties. He's another one, you know. He's always been just around going to that line and maybe crossing over at a time or two. But that's Jacob Truba. That's the way he's gonna play. He's gonna be a take no prisoners, knock you on your fucking ass defenseman, uh, and that's the way he plays the game. Uh, and at playoff time, that's good but you don't want him to be sitting in the box for six, eight, 10 penalty minutes a game either. You know, so it's about, uh, you know, maintaining some level of discipline, kind of like our, my Hamilton Bulldog uh, that I was watching yesterday. I was there at the game in Hamilton, Arbor Jacki. He's going to be a phenomenal defenseman, uh, I think, in the NHL. 
uh, and he's a very physical player, but sometimes he's hitting guys off, you know, away from the puck, a little bit of a, you know, questionable hits, and he ends up in the penalty box. So he's got to rein in the discipline a little bit. Could say the same thing about uh, Jacob Truba. Uh, good comparison there. Uh, Andrew, thoughts from uh, yesterday's game? Well, it was funny. I did a uh, VEASAN hit. I was on for about 10 minutes with them in the between uh, periods for the first and second. They're like, all right, Andrew, so what are you looking at? If you're jumping in in-game, what are you looking at here? And I said, I can't see anything but an under. Uh, but of course, we were talking about in-game numbers. So the full game under cash, but the in-game, if you had anything in-game, you would have lost because it felt like for about 50 out of 60 minutes, not a hockey game, it was just penalties. And you know, I respect it because you know I, I want the refs to call whatever they're gonna whatever they're gonna call. But from a viewer standpoint, it was just annoying. I mean, it was like there was no flow of the game. Every three minutes, there's a call happening. Uh, but the Rangers continue to make good of their chances, and I'm not gonna hate on them for that. They they make good. Zabinajad's got an absolute rocket, and you know they they capitalize. But to Alex's point, take away the special teams, and you guys are talking about it. The five on five play, Tampa Bay played very well, and. Stamkos kind of said that, um, you know, post game, he's like, look, I thought we played a pretty good five on five game. Got to clean up those penalties. But uh, I thought they were aggressive. I thought they had a lot of different shots. They're trying to get uh, Igor moving right to left. And, you know, between Corey Perry and the guys trying to get into Igor's face and then between Igor trying to get nominated for an Oscar, it's, you know, it's a little bit of both there with that, you know, with that type of stuff. And, I mean, if you guys saw the slow-mo replay, I'm sure you guys have seen some of those memes going around today. It's hilarious. I mean, he just got tapped on the visor, or the, the mask, and he flew back like there was a sniper in the building. Uh, that stuff happens, though, and it's all part of the game, and he did what he had to do to get his team a power play. But I, I think, you know, like Alex saw my tweet yesterday about the series isn't over till a home team loses, and that's just a cliche thing. Like, I, I don't actually take that. Like, I'm not putting, like, money on just because of that right. type of thing. It's just kind of a saying I was... But especially with a team like Tampa, I think that's where the, the saying can really apply. You know, whatever we saw at MSG, let's wait until game three. But when it comes down to it, though, we have to all realize Tampa Bay still had to come back. They yep. were in the dire moments. I mean, if that happens to Edmonton tonight, they're fucked. <laughs> like, for lack of better words, like they're not going to come back and avoid, you know, the sweep if they're down two nothing. So, I mean, Ian, Ian I'll, I'll lead right into it. <laughs> I, I think that Edmonton has to get off and do a good start. They have to have a good first period. Uh, I, I know you like to lead things off, so I'll throw it back to you, Ian, but I just want to say, you know, we talk about avoiding elimination or avoiding going down 3-0. I think it's a similar things. Edmonton is right up there where I think if you like Edmonton, you're taking them first period money line. You know, maybe you want to have half and half, but this is a team that McDavid goes out there, boom, six seconds into his shift lights the lamp and Evander Kane's been the story of the Oilers good and bad <laughs> this playoffs scores 13 goals 13 games now he's out takes Nazem Kadri out the thing is though when it was before the suspension was announced you hate to say this stuff and you you're just being an analyst and and I hope Kadri's okay but I thought that was like okay you know they lost that game but this could really be good for them with Kadri out great 200 foot player oh wait now Kane's out too. And which team is the deeper team right now? Definitely not Edmonton. So that one-for-one one swap benefits Colorado 110%. Guys, I feel like we can get a great in-game over spot in this game. I know it kind of sucks with two teams like this to wait, but if we can get a, even a six, even or a five and a half, 
Um, and and our DraftKings, you know, the Hockey Podcast Network sponsor there. I think the third period is the highest scoring period. I've bet that. I look at it and I think that we're going to see the slow, you know, if we do see empty netters, if we do see desperation from Edmonton, no matter what the score is, I think that's what we ended up seeing is that the game start a little bit slower and then pick up quite a bit here. Um, but I always say penalty kills can motivate a team, but there was no there's no motivation there after you score the first goal and then you're pretty much on the PK for about five minutes. That's not good for your team. So when I look at tonight's game, uh, there was a prop mentioned to me by a coworker, Andy Lang, Nugent Hopkins under two and a half shots. Um, he's been dialing in on those. I mean, the unders, we always talk about overs, but Nugent Hopkins hasn't really been shooting the puck that much. Even a guy like McKinnon under one and a half points seems to be pretty good. But when I look at the one I really like tonight is as uh, Valerie Nachushkin to get a point at minus 135. Uh, he's a guy on a line with McKinnon and Landeskog. He's kind of like that guy yep. that obviously what's McKinnon to get a point. Ridiculous number. Landeskog still not a great number. The guy on the line with them, you can get a pretty good number there with them. So um, that's kind of where I'm looking. Yes, he is a guy. I'm expecting to have a big game um, for the Oilers. But I'll tell you what, as much as it's a battle of the depth, it's the Leon and Connor show or nothing tonight, I think, for the Oilers. If you want to get your props in, I do like some of those second line guys. But when it comes down to it, the matchup between McKinnon and Connor McDavid will have to be won uh, by McDavid or this series is over. He's got to step it up. I don't care that people are pissed off that I, you know, said he's got to be better after game two. He does. You put yourself in a sp position where you are at a, such a caliber of player that you've got to be somewhat, not like crazy good, but you you can't be totally invisible and non-impactful. That's what Connor McDavid was in game two. Now, to his credit in game three, he comes out there, scores the goal in the first minute. Great job. Uh, and in the first period, I thought he was buzzing. He was flying all over the ice. But I thought as that game went on, he became less and less impactful, less and less noticeable. And a lot of that's Colorado's checking the hell out of him. And the defensive job that they've done. Kale McCarr just swats the, the puck away from him multiple times in this series. Like, you know, swatting a fly. You know, that's exactly what he's been doing. Like the defensive game that Colorado has played on, on McDavid has been terrific. But he's also Connor McDavid. He's got to just find that way to overcome it, get up to that next gear, and do it for sixty minutes. That's the other thing. Yeah. Well, the Ian, how period, many times did they see that? Did Drysaddle say I'm healthy? I'm fine. How many times in the media after the Flame series like stop asking me? I'm fine. Does no. it look fine to you guys? He's not. No. He's not. Him and Darnell Nurse are not even close to hundred percent. There's not even any point speculating. It's a fact. They are not healthy. Darnell Nurse has got an oblique issue. He's not even close to 100%. Leon Dreisaitl had an ankle problem coming into this series, and now he almost got slew foot, by the way, the other night. That sure as fuck uh, is not going to help his health situation. You know, there's no way he is uh, close to 100%, so it's all kinds of issues for them health-wise. They can't match the depth of Colorado up front. They certainly can't match the depth of defense uh, with Colorado. Look what Colorado can throw out there. Devon Taves, Kale McCarr. Uh, Eric Johnson, Bowen Byram, who's been great. This guy skates like the wind, too, like everybody else on that blue line. Uh, Jack Johnson's a capable vet that they can bring in when Sam Girard got injured. Uh, you know, you've just got a spoiled embarrassment of Rich's blue line for Colorado. What have you got for Edmonton? What have you truly got? You've got a less than 100% Darnell Nurse who's playing like a shell of himself because of it. You've got Cody Cease, who couldn't cut the mustard in Ottawa and Toronto. 
got bounced in both places. You've got Evan Bouchard and Tyson Berry who love rushing the puck and shooting the puck and all things offense. Not so much liking anything defensively, though, uh, either of those two guys. How about that great angle that Bouchard took uh, on that goal the that other night? Horrible. Phenomenal. Phenomenal Let, job. Let's yeah. give the offensive guy a little bit of credit there, too. Yeah. We, yes, it was yes. pretty good offensive play. It's really getting taught these days to the younger kids um, when you're working way up to, I mean, obviously NHLers, but that he cut when you get a, an angle on the guy, you cut in front of him and you don't have to hit him. You take away his hands so that way his stick isn't available. So, like, he looked weak and soft on the play, but if you go back and you really watch the replay, Comfort did a great job of once he established inside position, completely getting inside his hands and taking him away, and that's why he ended up falling down. But Sorry, also, why, why doesn't he just go down yeah. the middle? Why doesn't Bouchard just skate down the center of the ice, play a two-on-one? I mean, it's a weak goal from Smith, but how the hell do you play the outside on that play? Well, exactly. So that's a different that's a different uh, argument. So the argument could be that he didn't have to go for the race for that puck. He could have played it safer and, you know, kept him to the outside for a perimeter shot. But I guess he probably felt like he had a step or two steps right. on him and he could have got there. But he also could have been the hero five seconds earlier if he didn't hit the post. <laughs> so he went from like hero to goat a little bit on that play because I'm pretty sure he took a shot that went off the post right before He did that. right before that that JT Comfort goal was scored which was yeah. by the way a horrend I feel I feel brutal for Mike Smith cuz he played a great game up till that point but everyone's going to remember you gave up the game winning goal on that horse shit shot you know I, agree. I think it's tough. just a little bit of what he was talking about before I think it's tough for Edmonton they're going to get a tough rap in this series no matter what because Colorado has done a really good job of neutralizing what Edmonton does well and Colorado is built like they're big, they're fast, they're strong. But when they get in the offensive zone, you can't take the puck from them. And I think that's one of the reasons people have been seeing a little bit less McDavid is that especially when they were in Colorado the first game, Bednar did a great job of when McDavid was on the ice, he put her on the true and Lattice cog against him. And they played so much in the older D zone. And that's not where they're great at. And they have a hard time coming out of the zone and stuff like that. That it really has neutralized them quite a bit for the series. Bednar had the balls to go power on power, Cy, you're right, with McKinnon's line against McDavid's line, and it's worked out for him because they're in the offensive zone. His guys, the Colorado line, they're not. McDavid and company, and you're right. That's an excellent observation because you get them to play defense all of a sudden, uh, and, man, it, it just makes them totally – and it's why they're lacking effectiveness, especially McDavid at times. They're defending so much uh, with uh, having to be out at the same time as McKinnon. Now, of course, in Edmonton, Jay Woodcroft's got a chance to get away from that matchup, you know, with the last line change. But at the same time, you know, it's not always going to be easy to do that. And we it didn't really make too much of a difference, uh, obviously, in game three. The result ended up being the same, Colorado winning. I'd like to make a case for Edmonton because I'd certainly like to see this game go beyond four games. But it's hard for me. This is I'm on Colorado tonight. I am to finish it off. Uh uh, minus 135. I just think Edmonton has shown me that even with their best push, their greatest push, they've got, you know, obviously Mike Smith is going to look great one minute, give up a horrendous goal to Comfort the next. The defense, like I said, Darnell Nurse is their best defenseman by far with a bunch of question marks, and their best defenseman by far is not even under percent with his health right now. So that's a terrible thing to have happen right now, going into a game that you have to win. You don't have a Vander Kane. And all this talk that Kadri being out, and it's big. It's big. If they go to the Stanley Cup final, and it looks like they will, Colorado, you know, if they don't have Kadri for that series, whether it's Tampa or New York that they play, that's a big deal. That is a huge deal. Like they're they're going to want him back, and they're going to need him back in that series. They can probably get through this series, but 
the one thing you've got to have some con- that you feel good about with Colorado with Kadri out is the way Comfers played, and he's going to take that second line center spot in in the place of Kadri tonight, and he's been terrific lately. Go back to Game Seven against St. Louis, and JT Comfer has been very, very good for this hockey team. Uh, he has scored big goals. He's been all over the ice at both ends. He's a terrific two-way player. Terrific, two hundred foot player. Uh, he's been excellent. He's gotten his offense going, which is an even bigger bonus. And the, that's what gives you faith that they can withstand Kadri's absence because of the way he's playing. We know he brings it defensively, but he's got his offensive game going right now for the Colorado Avalanche. You look at Comfer, the last four games, he's got five goals and five points for the Colorado Avalanche in the last four games for them. So that's why when I look at player props tonight, it's my number one player prop uh, is JT Comfer. There's no question about that. It's value. He's now going to be in the second line center spot uh, here tonight for this Colorado Avalanche team. Uh, I think it is definitely something that you can take advantage of. And obviously to score a goal, He's still in that plus 280 to plus 300 range to score a goal. He can turn 100 into 300 if you bet that goal score prop for JT Comfer. He's got five in the last four games. So he's the player prop with value, in my opinion, for the Colorado Avalanche tonight. And we're going to, and it is, I'm going straight out of Comfer, city of Comfer. Yeah, we're going to do it tonight here. Crazy motherfucker named Comfer scoring goals with attitude. JT Comfer. Uh, for the uh, Colorado Avalanche right now. I'm playing a 200-foot game with attitude as well, uh, I should point out. Uh, JT Comfer is my number one player prop tonight. I like Colorado to finish it off. I like both teams to score in the first period again as well. It cashed for me Saturday night. I'm going to go back to that well. Both teams to score. Uh, plus, I believe it is 140 uh, in that range the last I checked. Yeah, both teams to score first period plus 140 tonight. Uh, with Colorado and Edmonton. And I'm also going to jump on the over two and a half plus a hundred third period. Uh, that's the one that I'm not going to do the full game total. I'm going to stick to the third period total uh, over two and a half plus 100. It's available pregame. You can bet it at a lot of sports books, the third period totals before the game starts. So that's what I like there. Colorado Edmonton over two and a half plus a hundred. And it is it perfectly in line with what Andrew said earlier. He likes the highest scoring period. Uh, to be the third period. I think that's probably a good chance of that happening, especially with this being an elimination game with uh, Edmonton trying to avoid the sweep. Uh, Alex, we'll go to you next and then sigh after that. Uh, Alex, what do you think here, game four? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this this series is pretty much over with Colorado. The way that they were able to, uh, you know, kind of just take over that late in that third period, uh, it just shows, you know, like they always talk about killer instinct in the playoffs, and, and they've got Edmonton right in the same spot where they had Nashville. Uh, and this is a team that knows how to close out. Like said, you know, all of the the hype and talk about them not being able to get out of the rounds that that's all past. And now they they've got their eyes on the prize here tonight. And and, and Edmonton for like said the fight that they have shown in, in game three and you know having McDavid score right off the bat. Uh, you know that's what they're going to need. If you do like Edmonton in, in this in this game tonight, the one thing you'd have to look at would be score in the first ten minutes. Yes, plus one thirty five. That's for Edmonton, not not just any goal in the first ten minutes, but specifically the Oilers. Because they have to get off to a hot start and, and they have to keep their crowd in, keep their own energy and momentum up. Because as soon as they, if they fall flat or if the game just kind of takes a flat turn, which it did really in, the, in that second period, uh, you know, there was some, some up and downs and it just kind of just had this flat feeling in the third. And that's when, you know, Colorado, they, they, they're able to pounce. They kind of, they're almost reactionary sometimes when they're on the road. They can kind of feel that that change and shift happen. And that's when it's their time to strike. So 
if uh, if Edmonton you know wants to survive to make it a game five, they have to score early and often. I just don't think that's the chance. I, I got Colorado minus a dollar twenty yesterday. I also jumped on that third period over. I got uh, two and a half at even money. A lot of times we see twos, but obviously with how high scoring the series has been already in these two teams, you're going to get two and a half. I, I'm not worried about that. I think that's still a, a decent number and a good price. So those are my two plays here. I think Colorado will advance to this uh, Stanley Cup final, and they won't be touching the Campbell Bowl. Somebody was talking about that in, on Twitter uh, earlier about you know who, who touches the uh, the trophy if they win. And no one has touched the, the Western Conference trophy since the lockout. The only team that's touched the Eastern Conference Trophy with the Pittsburgh Penguins the two times that they won it. So uh, just a, a fun fact that I was reading before we got on the air. I want to get Travis's thoughts just real quick. Not, this isn't off topic, but it's about the favorite. Colorado's been the favorite all year long since last summer. Yeah. And I think it really is a good message to a lot of people that don't like betting chalk, right? Future markets, sure. You can look at, you know, look at the Warriors in the NBA, for example. With the, what a look at a, what a price you could have gotten on them to make the finals, let alone win. But I think it's a lesson that sometimes it's okay to be chalky because that number you're getting in September on Colorado is not the same as the number you got in January or March or June. So I think it's really, you know, it's important to to mention that it's like kind of like the argument I'd have with people when I was betting Matthews to score a goal at minus dollar twenty. Someone would say to me, well, how can you bet a guy to score a goal? You know, when you've got Ian Cash in plus 400 some nights, I get it. But when Austin Matthews scores over 60 goals, it's hard to blame a guy for betting a minus 130 for someone to score a goal. And so I think it's a good lesson to be learned for a lot of people about sometimes the team that's expected to make the cup is going to. It's not always going to be the St. Louis 17 to 1. And I think it's important for betters to learn that because sometimes the public quote for quote or the favorite is right. JT Confer, I just looked to get a point plus 130. A couple books do have it. How do you not take that? I mean, five points in the last four games. Second line center tonight for the Colorado Avalanche playing uh, on that second line for them. Uh, Going to get the minutes. He's done, he's done well on the third line, getting these five points in the last four games and five goals in the last four games. Now he's going to be with Lekkonen and Rantanen you know, centering that second line for Colorado. So I think it's a phenomenal bet. Confer to score a point, Confer to score a goal uh, here tonight. Uh, definitely. And now he's going to get even more responsibility. Minutes, ice time, situational uh, play. You know, he's going to get an increase in all of those things tonight. So uh, watch him probably have another big impact uh, on the game tonight if Colorado is going to win. I think if you like Edmonton, you bet first goal because they have to come out early strong start or else they're going to have no shot in this game. So I think for Edmonton, if you like that side backs against the wall, it's first period, or maybe you bet them to score the first goal like they did in game three. I don't, I just don't know if I can trust this team right now for 60 minutes with how Colorado's just asserted their dominance and how Edmonton's less than hundred percent with two of their really key players, especially dry uh, and nurse. All right, Cy, uh, give us your uh, breakdown, your analysis here. Game four, Avs and Oilers. Well, I think an interesting thing, you know, go to some of your betting stuff to keep an eye on is I find Edmonton is more explosive when McDavid and dry play Taylor final five, even in the regular season. I don't know what the stats are, if it is to back it up there. I think they may win more games and they're a deeper team when they're broken up. But in terms of them going off and the fireworks, when they play together, they're usually not going to get one goal a game. They usually go for three or four points, which allows it, the, you know, the game to be a little bit higher scoring, stuff like that. I think 
the home team or sorry, the home fans are really going to try and help Edmonton get off that, that quick start that you're talking about because everyone knows how important the first goal is and how the cliche of how important the first goal is in a hockey game, especially at home playoffs and get the crowd going and all that, and all that buzzing. I think Comfort has played well, but he isn't Nazem Kadri. I think you know, I he's on a hot streak. Uh, he's on a hot streak, and how well can he ride it, and how long can he ride it? Because they're, you know, there's that. He's thing. a pretty there's goddamn a good substitute a, replacement, though. Yeah. No, I agree, but there's a, there's always that saying that there's a reason someone's a two center and someone's a three center, right? It's because the consistency right. in which they can do it and provide that production and play, and you know. He has played. I agree with you. He has played great. He's done really well. But he's also used to not playing as quality as deep pairings or as quality mm-hmm. as forwards. So yep. his matchup is also going to be a little bit harder now as he goes. So I think that's one thing to pay attention to a little bit. I I think Edmonton's going to find a way to send it to Colorado. I just think there's a little bit of pride. No one wants to get swept at any point in the playoffs, especially at home. You have really good players on Edmonton and pride players, you know, Zach Hyman, McDavid, like guys who, who want to do good. And I, I think they'll probably be able to send it back to Colorado for one more. But I think, I think that would be, I think Colorado is like a wagon. Like if you had to describe a team and how you want to build a team in, in the NHL right now, in 2022, in terms of like skill, speed, but also like size, like, you know, like Natrushkin is huge. He's a runaway freight train, like Landis Cog, Arturi Lakin is a hound. Like they're fast, but they're not like five foot four guys. They, they they're got big their and they can skate. Piano, but but they're, yeah. they're they're top six and they're top nine. Like th- those are six two, six three guys who can absolutely go up and down the wing and keep you on their back. Like, it's very hard. And if Sam Gerard was playing, like he's their third best defenseman. They're, so you're, everyone's talking about how great they are. They're gonna be missing their third best defenseman and their second line center. People are expecting them to not you know miss a beat, which is incredible. Because, I mean, Bowen Byron's done a great job of stepping up and playing 20 minutes a night. But they lost a defenseman who was playing on their second power play and was playing, I think, somewhere close to 22 minutes a night. And now they're going to lose Kadri, who plays 20 minutes a night as a four. And it's going to be, at, well, at least everyone expects it to be, you know, no big deal. We're going to keep riding on. Yeah, it, this is remarkable. Their def- I'm looking at their defensive depth chart right now, Sai. And I already said how it's unbelievable they lose Gerard and you can put a Jack Johnson in there. Like, this guy's a veteran guy. He knows his way around the block. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. He's a good, steady, veteran defenseman who's going to help you. Not be a liability, not be a deer in a headlights playing in a big playoff game or a big playoff series. That's what they get to put in the lineup when they lose somebody to injury. That's insane. Like, yeah. this is a guy that knows how to play. Uh, Jack Johnson, and you look that if they suffer another injury, let's say someone other than Gerard also gets injured moving forward for the Abs. You've got Ryan Murray, who was thought at one time to be a really great NHL defenseman, had that kind of ceiling. Now he's been marred by injuries uh, over the years. There's no question, but that's a capable enough player. You know, you got a Curtis McDermott who's played a ton of games and can throw the weight around, can drop the mitts as well uh, if it's required. I mean, it's just unbelievable how far the depth goes on the blue line for Colorado. And it's totally unmatched, especially when you compare it to what Edmonton's putting out there right now. And what I think side, you, you agree with this. I don't, I'm, you can say if you agree or not, but I find Colorado, they've got a five man attack on every shift where the defensemen are actually part of the, they jump up almost every shift. They're involved in the offense in the offensive zone. And the reason they can do that usually back in the day, it's pinch the defense when you're trailing in the third period, activate the blue liners when you're trailing in the third period, that's the time you do it. And only then 
Now you're seeing Colorado, they, the defense are joining the rush, joining the play, and getting involved in the offensive zone every single shift just about. And the, they can do that because they skate like the wind, all of them, pretty much, one through six. And they can get back into defensive position if, by chance, there's a turnover of the puck. If, by chance, you know there's a big stretch pass up the ice from the opponent because they can all just skate just incredibly well and get themselves back into proper defensive position and proper defensive posture to try to withstand a rush chance or a transition chance. There's hardly any other team in the NHL that can get away with that and pull that off other than the Colorado Avalanche. And it's really something to behold. Uh, do, you th- do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I think, I mean, their decor is extremely mobile. I think they jump in the rush as the fourth guy, but they also do it from breaking out. Like that's what gives them such a, they don't just wait to the neutral zone for the guy to jump the rush. Like that weak side defenseman or the net front D man, when they get the puck clean, those guys are going, even when it's Josh Manson, who I wouldn't say is an offensive defenseman, like they're going. And just the fact that you have another guy there of it being four instead of three creates more time and space for your good players to carry the puck to get an easier entry. And the, the, the one big thing that I think, it's Edmonton is different from Colorado. Like McDavid comes back and gets the puck sometimes to help them make an easy pass to get them out of the zone to gain speed. But Colorado, you build speed a lot of times through breaking out of your own zone. And they break out so clean sometimes with tape-to-tape passes that they have so much more speed coming through the neutral zone and entering the blue line that they get high danger scoring chances off the rush and getting to the areas that you want to score from because they move the puck so well breaking out of the zone and skate so well. Yeah, it's it, they're, they're, it's 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 fun and it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch that blue line. People are going to say the forwards always get the attention. The casual fans always. I want to watch McKinnon. I want to watch McDavid. I want to watch Kane, Drysital, Ranton, and Landeskog. When I watch Colorado, I'm just as fascinated, if not more, by watching the blue line operate, watching those guys play. Kale McCarr, Devon Taves. What a season for Devon Taves. What a pickup. Just absolutely stole him. An absolute theft from the New York Islanders. Uh, that was uh, New York Islanders, by the way, old man Lou uh, in the offseason bitching about, oh, we didn't have much offense from the defense this year. We got to work on that. You had Taves in your organization for years. You had him there. What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, my gosh, you had a chance to keep him. You didn't. And so I don't want to hear you screaming and bitching and moaning about not enough offense from the blue line. You had Devon Taves and you let him get away. You know, that that's your problem. You know, you had him figure it out. I mean, my goodness. I mean, talk about just, they, they just absolutely, just absolutely got one, pulled one over on the New York Islanders, getting Devon Taves from them. He's been absolutely uh, outstanding for them. Uh, no question about that. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. We'll get have in a second with best bets. Uh, I do want to mention the funny moment from game three, uh, or I think it was game two, actually. Uh, Josh Manson scored for the uh, Colorado Avalanche. And there is his dad, Dave Manson, who is, of course, an assistant coach for the Edmonton Oilers. He's looking up, and I think he's trying not to smile or something, but he's like, he's obviously happy. It is his kid, but he is coaching for the other team, uh, the Edmonton Oilers. He's probably thinking about saying, that's my boy! But he's like, oh, shit, I can't say that. I can't say that. <laughs> They're going to be pissed at me. We just got scored on. I got to keep that uh, keep that quiet. <laughs> As Josh Manson's dad. It's a weird dynamic, huh? Father uh, of your own father coaching as an assistant coach for the other team when you're playing against your dad uh, in a playoff series. Cy, could you imagine going through that, you know, with the dad on the other side coaching for the team you're trying to beat? I'd be tripping my dad and going by the bench the whole time. 
other team would be very happy about that for sure. I think I, I actually think you. I actually think when he scored, he looked at the bench the whole time on the way by on the flyby through the line. And he was like looking at the father to see if he'd get a reaction or not. It's like, what's up, Dad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, it's got to be awkward. That's all. That's all I can say. It's got to be a a very very strange feeling. What's going on with the Mansons, uh, Dave, father Dave and son Josh, uh, here in this series with uh, Colorado and Edmonton? Sai, you hit it out of the park. You were awesome. A uh, great job. Great show. Uh, here for a Monday on the ice guys. And thanks to everyone uh, for tuning in, hit the like button on the way out. We'll get to best bets uh, in just a second. A reminder, DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL team, get $150 in free bets if they win. If DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings app, sign up for an account, use the promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NHL team, get $150 in free bets if they win that's promo code thpn at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nhl must be 21 years of age or older must reside in a DraftKings sportsbook state restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER download the DraftKings app sign up for an account and use the promo code thpn all right it is time for best bets we'll start with our special guest here uh, Sai, it could be whoever, who do you think wins, uh, a player that you like, uh, anything you want. If you had to give one out a best bet, what would it be, Sai? Well, I think Edmonton's going to win tonight. I like Edmonton. I think you're going to say the horses are going to have to carry them and have to have some big games. And then I like Colorado. I know their power play has struggled a little bit, but I like them to have a power play goal tonight. All right, there we go. And uh, and going against the grain, Edmonton Oilers here, which you can get at uh, plus 115 to avoid the sweep, have some pride, as you said, uh, on home ice, and at least send this series back to a game five in Denver, which would be be played on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Andrew, we'll go to you. What do you like for best bet? Best bet here, I'm going to go same as Alex B. Smith. So him and I are both locked in on the third period over. Um, I'd go with two. Uh, you can get two and a half even. I want to see what he mentioned to us because he was talking about it as well. Yeah, I mean, you can talk, you can get two even or you get two and a half at an even better plus price. But I think this game starts slow and I think the goals start to come in. Edmonton has proven that I don't think they can win a low scoring game. So if I think we're going to see them come out, like Sai said, I think we're going to see it in high scoring fashion. Uh, I think buckle up, have your drinks ready, have your food ready. It's going to be a good game tonight. All right. We hope so because it's a BetCast on Monday as well tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. We're looking forward to that. Ice Guys Live BetCast for Game 4, Oilers and Abs. DM or email if you want uh, uh, the link for the BetCast, and we'll make sure you get on the uh, BetCast tonight with us uh, as we see if the Oilers can avoid the sweep and extend this series. Uh, My best bet, uh, City of Comfort. City of Comfort. Coming straight out of Comfort, and I'm coming straight for the bookie uh, to take his money with this prop. JT Comfort. Plus 130 to get a point tonight. Uh, I'm going with a rare player prop best bet. He's got five points in the last four games, five goals in the last four. I like the goal scorer prop too, but I'm going to go with the point uh, prop because with Rantanen on one side, Lekkanen on the other side, I really could see JT Confer maybe dishing the puck a little bit more, not just looking to shoot with those two guys on his on his line uh, here, centering that second line. So we'll go with JT Comfort to get a point, plus 130. Uh, for the Colorado Avalanche tonight. That is going to be my best bet for game four 
uh, between the Oilers and the Avs tonight. Uh, great stuff. I don't know what happened to Alex. I guess it's uh, tech. Uh, what happened? Yeah, he sent his. Uh, he said that's why. I, that's why I mentioned his his best bet as well. Him and I both like the third period and, over. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Alex uh, had to leave early. Great stuff. Uh, that is the uh, Ice Guys show. Sai, some final words from you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, awesome guest you were. I uh, hope you had fun. Hope you enjoyed the show. No, thanks for having me. I had a great uh, great time. Uh, anytime you need, pop on if it works for both of us. I hope everyone enjoys the game tonight. All right, definitely. We'll try to bring you back maybe before the end of the season during the cup final. We'll see if uh, time permits. All right, great stuff. Hit the like button on the way out. That's the end of the show. Betcast tonight, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Make sure you join us for that. A reminder, the Ice Guys is live seven days a week, Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, Saturday and Sunday, noon Eastern. If you can't watch the show live, download the Ice Guys podcast in audio form on all major podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Download the Ice Guys podcast when you can't watch the show live. For Alex B. Smith and Andrew McGinnis and our special guest, Cy Nutkovich, I'm Ian Cameron. Have a great Monday. Enjoy the games and good luck, and we will talk to you again tomorrow on Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, and, of course, the BetCast as well tonight at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern. The Ice Guys presented by the Hockey Podcast Network.